Well, amen. We're going to continue worship a little bit later on in the service. But I love lifting a, a hallelujah together because it's a way of saying we together encourage each other. We together affirm one another. We together put courage in each other as we run the race of life. In fact, you've been following with us in Hebrews. We started uh, over the last month, really, exploring Hebrews 11. If we learned about a whole bunch of people from Abel to Isaac to Enoch to Jephthah, who kept living by faith despite their doubts, despite their questions, despite their hardships. And because they kept believing, they received God's reward. And it's out of all of that chapter 11, the writer jumps into chapter 13, or 12 rather, and says, so therefore we need to run the race for our reward as well. Do you have a, a, a mental analogy for kind of how life's supposed to work? Like, what's life supposed to be like? What's your mental image of what life is? Maybe you've never thought of it. But your mental image of life will set your expectations for life. Good or for bad, by the way. For example, if you think that life is a jungle, you might say, you know what, if I can just survive, that would be actually success. There's scorpions out there. There's disease out there. Life is a jungle. If I could just survive that success. Like, well, that's way too low of expectations. Maybe your metaphor is that of a a NASCAR race. Like, yep, there's going to be a a carnage every night. We're going to bump into each other all the time. There's always going to be something on fire each time. But you know what? Ultimately, it's about competition winning the race. For others of us, our metaphor is that life should be like Disneyland comfortable all the time, magical all the time, wonderful memories every day. Well, that sets up a certain expectation about whether or not life should be hard or difficult or challenging. And the metaphor that that the writer of Hebrews is going to use is that of a race, but not like a sprint. I was a sprinter. I was a 110 high hurdler, a triple jumper, and a long jumper. I was not an endurance runner. And yet what our writer is going to tell us is that the mental analogy you need to have for life is that it's like a long-term marathon you need to train for, push hard through, and finish well. After service today, if I said, hey, we're all going to meet right at the door here, and we're all going to run 50 yards. Some of us would run fast, some of us would run slow, but most of us could run 50 yards after the service today. However... What if I said after the service we're going to meet here, we're going to run around the lake until we get up to 26.1 miles? Oh, no, 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 no. Not trained, not prepared, haven't endured, don't know how to push through the wall. No. It's a lot harder to run a marathon than it is to run a sprint. And what the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us is you need to have the mental image in your mind that life is like a marathon. And the finish line is just past the grave. Here's what he says. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all those people from chapter 11. So here's how you run the race. Lay aside every weight, the sin that so easily entangles you. Run with endurance. You don't have to finish first. Finish well. The race that is set before you, God's race for you. Look unto Jesus the whole time. Now we're going to look at chapters 1 to 10. 
What did Jesus do? He authored our faith. He was our sacrifice. He was our Melchizedek. He was the ultimate everything. Abraham, ultimate son. And he's the finisher of our faith. You don't need to add anything to Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And when he endured his race, when he ran his race, you know what? He was rewarded by being seated at the right hand of God. Chapter 11, the reward. And here in these verses, he's encapsulated all of what we've talked about in the entire book. And he says, life is a marathon with a finish line that is just past the grave. As a sprinter, I always learned you don't, you don't run to the finish line because then you'll slow down. You run through the finish line. And so the secret to running the race of life is running through the finish line, past the grave. The reward comes on the other side of the grave. And there are two lessons in this passage that will help us learn how to finish well and push hard when you hit the walls of the marathon of your life. Let's look at the first lesson together. If life is a marathon, we need to run with a pack. You'll notice all the we words in this passage, not you words. You run with a pack, and if you're going to endure to the end, you need to learn how to pack light. Lay aside some things. He starts off with the word, therefore. Therefore. Since we just learned about all these people who ran a race and were rewarded. Therefore, since we run with the pack, also, since we, we're surrounded, guys. We're surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses. The word cloud here is kind of an interesting word. It's a fully saturated cloud. Not like, hey, there's a little cloud up there. It looks like a bunny rabbit. There's a little cloud right there about the size of a man's fist. This is like the entire atmosphere is one giant cloud moving in all directions. Fully saturated, fully encompassing cloud. And they're not as much witnessing us, although they're cheering us on a little bit. I mean, Jesus says that maybe the dead can't really see us, so I wouldn't read that in the passage. As much as we're surrounded by those who ran a race, succeeded, endured, pushed, and they're now seated in the stadium to remind us that this thing works, that there is a reward. And you go, you know what, this is really tough, but it was tough for Abraham too. This is really hard, but Jephthah had it hard. Oh, it's so hard to not give in to my appetites, oh, but Samson endured. And you look at all those in your life in the Bible, there's grandma, there's the Sunday school teacher who led me to Christ. And you think of being surrounded by all the people who witnessed to the fact that running the race with endurance leads to reward. Now this metaphor of running is something that's used often in the Bible. Remember I took you to Caesarea Philippi several months ago. Let me take you back there again. And I want to show you just to the, to the left-hand side or right on the screen of where Paul was held captive is a hippodrome. So while Paul was being tried by Festus and Felix and Agrippa, he could hear the games going on outside. And I want you to notice the stadium. So we come up to this hippodrome here. You'll see the, the giant rows of stone bleachers. People gathered, people seated, people cheering. This is where they filmed the, the movie Ben-Hur with the chariots racing around as people cheered. She saw all the other runners who've run in years on by sitting in the stands. 
cheering for you. Reminder that this race is worth running. So with that in mind, I want you to think about who's in your stadium. This is an actual stadium I got a chance to visit in Turkey several years ago. Our leader was leading us in a Bible study. He asked us to imagine who are the people who've run well in your life that inspire you to run your race. Who is it for you? We began to tell stories together as a group, several people from Horizon there. Somebody said it was my grandmother, her ability to just speak truth, to call a lie a lie, to faithfully serve people over and over, year after year, without being thanked. Who's sitting in the stands of your life that's an inspiration to you to run your race? Abraham's in there, and Sarah's in there, and Elijah's in there, and Moses is in there. But I bet you there's a lot of people in your life, recent ones, who are cheering you on. At the end of that Bible study, we all got up, and we all actually went out, and we began to run the race. We just kind of ran together. We encouraged each other. We cheered for each other. We clapped for each other. Not everybody ran fast, but we helped each other finish well. I remember this was right in the middle of Beth and I having kind of the the turmoil of special needs and the turmoil of all those things kind of juggling in our life. And and as you saw just a second ago, at the end of our walking the race together, we went and took a picture right in in this hippodrome, a reminder that we were going to endure be faithful to each other, to God. We didn't prefer a lot of things about the race we were in. But we were going to run for the reward. So, because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, run your race. Your race isn't my race. There's some things I wouldn't prefer about my race and you wouldn't prefer about your race. But run with endurance the race set before you because you're surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses and you need to do two things he says one lay aside every weight and number two lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares so notice we have weights and we have sins two different things and notice he says lay aside every one of them so let's start with a weight a weight are those things in your life that aren't sinful they're not immoral they're just not very wise And they may not be very healthy. But these are encumbrances or things that keep you from fully and completely pursuing and running the race God has for you. When I was a sprinter, and I was a sprinter, not a long-distance guy. Did I mention that? Anyway, so we used to wear these weights, ankle weights, around our, our ankles. That's why they're called ankle weights. And we'd run our 50 and run our 75 and run our 100 over and over and over and run our sprints. Then when it came race day, we would take those ankles off. Take those ankle weights off. And you'd get up to the top of the 110 high hurdles, right? Get ready for the triple jump. And man, I can run so much faster by taking off the weights. What are the things in your life that aren't wrong, but they might be unwise? They might even be good, but they become hindrances to running the race God has for you. Lay them aside. 
The other thing is the sin that so easily ensnares us. And the Greek word for ensnares is really odd. It could have several meanings. And I think all bring a little bit of light to this passage. It could be, and the sin that so easily is avoidable. It would have been so much easier not to step in that. If only I had focused on my race. It also can mean the sin that so easily is admirable. Mm, that looks like fun. That might be nice. I deserve that. And you end up admiring something that entangles you. And that's the third definition, something that entangles you. It trips you up. It keeps you from running and finishing well. What are actual things that have entangled your relationship with God and kept you from running and finishing well? 1984, Zola Budd from the Great Britain. She is running the 3,000 meters against Mary Decker from the United States. One or the two of them are going to get the gold. This, this, the hype has been going on leading up to the Olympics. Sure enough, neither one have really run a lot internationally, and they're both always so far ahead of everyone else, they've never run in a pack until that day at the Olympics. As they come around the first lap, already they're bumping into each other. By the time they come around the next turn, Zola Bud steps into the first lane. At the same time, Mary Decker, who's just a few steps behind her, hits the back of her heel and tumbles into the infield. She's writhing in pain. What happened? What happened? As her trainers run out to her. Zola, as she's been trained, doesn't know what happened. Something happened behind her. She could feel a little limp in her step, but she just keeps running. She'll make lap after lap, and every time she'll see Mary Decker writhing in pain right there on the sideline. The crowd will begin to boo. Boo! Thinking she did it on purpose, but she just keeps running. Eventually, after 3,000 meters, she comes in not first, but second, because she too had been injured by their entanglement. As she finishes, despite the boos and despite the injuries, the officials declare her win illegal because she purposely tripped somebody. She disqualified. Until they went back and reviewed the tape and they realized it was just an accident. It wasn't her fault or Mary Deckard's fault. Just one of those things that two inexperienced people not used to running in a pack. So they reinstate her and she ends up not getting the gold but getting the silver. She trained for 18 years for that day, and so had Mary Decker. The whole life, everything that they trained for, hoped for, wished for, fell apart in that one little entanglement. They hadn't seen each other for years. It was only about three years ago that they were doing a movie together to discuss this, that they were on a TV set together, and they discussed how both of them had decided to forgive one another. To not let the entanglement of what happened back in that day, which was just an honest mistake for both of them, create bitterness that would last for decades in their life. They didn't want that entanglement to lead to a permanent entanglement for their soul. Is there anything you're entangled in? Stories you keep telling, grudges you keep holding? That in order to run the race God has for you, you need to lay it aside. That's what our writer's encouraging us to do. What's our second lesson? Our second lesson is if life is a marathon, we need to endure to the end. 
Okay? To the end, just past the grave. How? You look to the finisher of our faith. That's how you do it. You just keep looking at him for motivation, him for inspiration, him to be your focus. That's what it says. So let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus. Literally fixating your eyes on Jesus. But you've got to be prepared for this endurance race. And part of preparing is before you start to run it, what do I need to lay aside? That's a hindrance. What do I need to lay aside? That's a temptation or sin. So that I can run with endurance. Now, I'm not a long distance guy. Did I mention this? In fact, I hear runners describe this runner's high that they feel when they run. I've never felt it. I've never seen it. I've never been near it. I have never felt the wonder of running. I do 110 high hurdles, triple jump, long jump. But about 20 years ago, a staff member came up to me and said, Hey, Chad, I'm going to be running a marathon up in Boston. Oh, I didn't know you ran marathons. He says, I don't. (laughs) All right, well, it explains that. I said, what's going on? He goes, well, we got a guy with special needs in our church. He's going to be walking the marathon, and I'm going to walk alongside him. Well, that's awesome. He said, would you be willing to speak this Sunday so I can do that? I'd love to. It wasn't this Sunday, about a month from now. I said, sure, I'd love to. So put pencil in it. I said, by the way, how does one train for walking a marathon? Because I'm not an endurance guy. What do I know? He says, well, I play a little tennis once or twice a week. Huh. And I get on my treadmill at least once a week for a marathon. Oh, yeah. What do I know? I'm not an endurance guy. It's now about a week before the marathon. I got my talk all ready for Sunday. And I said, hey, how are things looking? He's like, oh, looking great. Getting ready for the big marathon. Just bought my pair of shoes. Now, did I mention I'm not a marathon guy? I'm not a really an endurance guy. But one has heard, I've heard, that one maybe not ought to buy shoes the week before you run a marathon. Well, what do I know? Sure enough, he heads up, goes to walk this race. Finishes, by the way, finishes. I get a phone call the next day. Hey, Jen. Yeah. Do you think you could fill in for me next Wednesday night and next Sunday and the following Wednesday? Sure. What happened? Well, I, I, I got really bad blisters from those shoes. Oh, who would have thought? He says, I really hit the, hit the wall about mile two. But my pride wouldn't let me step out of it because I was here for this guy. So I kept walking the additional 24 miles. And I've got blisters on top of blisters on top of blisters. And even two and a half weeks later, he got up on stage like, like this. Yeah, like this kind of thing. Why? Didn't train for endurance. So to train for endurance is to run with endurance, he says. You've got to keep your eyes focused on Jesus, looking to Jesus for your motivation, for your inspiration. He's the author. He's the one that started it. He's the one that gave you salvation, and he's the finisher. Everything you need to run the race, strength, courage, grace, ability to forgive, all of it can be found if you keep your eyes on Jesus. He finishes. He finished your faith. And you look to him for an example, too. How did he finish his race? What was his secret to enduring the cross? He tells us. 
The whole time, nails were pounded into his hands and pounded into his feet. Crown of thorns pushed upon his head. Did you know that while all that horrible pain was going on, underneath the pain, he had a smile. The joy that was set before him. How did Jesus have joy while he suffered? Because he said, you know what this is going to do? You know what pushing through this wall is going to do? You know what running this race is going to do? You know what finishing this race is going to do? It's going to put me in a permanent relationship with you. And you. And me. And you. Jesus was thinking about you. You were the joy set before him. That because of what he was finishing and the race he was running, he could permanently have a relationship with you. Fully and finally forgiven. And for the joy set before him, he endured. It was tough. It was difficult. He pushed through wall after wall after wall. He endured the cross. And he despised. He pushed away the shame of being killed on a tree. And then he kept focusing on the fact that God would reward him. And God did. For he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and he got the reward that God promised him. And do you remember what he says? What does he say on the cross? It is finished. But the finish line wasn't the grave, was it? Oh no, it was just past the grave. It was three days later when he was risen. And 50 days later when the Holy Spirit came. And he was risen up to heaven and then seated at the right hand of God. You see, every time you're not sure if it's going to be worth it, you're not sure if you can endure, you're not sure what could possibly motivate you, you're not sure you look to Jesus. And you say, I may be enduring, I may be persecuted for my faith right now, but you know what? Just like he thought of me when he endured... I'm going to think of him. And my chance to be persecuted for my faith, it's actually an honor for me to suffer for him just a little bit of how he suffered for me. And that's why life is a marathon with a finish line that's just past the grave. And so what we try and do as a church is we're trying to equip you with the tools you need to run the race God has for you. Sometimes that's people, community to encourage you because you're running a pack. Sometimes that's teaching about how to drop off some stuff or lay some things aside or go through books of the Bible. Many of you have said that going verse by verse through Hebrews has been so, so deep and so, so meaningful for you to learn about the gospel, to learn about Jesus verse by verse over the last nine months we've been together. Many of you have said, well, what's next? What's going to help me run the race, be the husband I want to be, the wife I want to be, the follower of Jesus I want to be, the parent I want to be? Our next series, I hope, will equip you even more to run the race. Here's a couple of topics we're going to hit just in the first couple of months of 2022. Can you count on God to guide you? And how do you center your life on God? Do you know how to practice confession and dedication to God? Do you know how to enter God's presence? Do you know how to follow God's leading? Am I remembering his deliverance in my life? Or am I starting to glorify the bondage of the past? Am I living as a grumbler? 
Or do I live out of a thankful heart? Will I try to live life on my own? Do I have a victorious spirit? Do I know how to overcome the giants in my life? Can I avoid temptation? Does God provide my daily bread and my daily water? And all of these topics come directly out of our study of the book of Numbers. Really? That actually sounded good until you said Numbers, Jan. The first couple of weeks, the book of Numbers, the first nine chapters are very dense. And we're going to cover like three chapters at a time because I'm going to show you the amazing forest of what you're going to discover each week. It's amazing, but sometimes we get lost in the midst of the individual trees. This book tells about God providing water gushing out of the letter N there. God provides water for millions of people. And yet also, Moses gets so angry, he one time hits that rock and isn't allowed in the promised land because of it. God gives his law how to lead him. The people have to wander one more lap around the wilderness because they haven't quite learned how to trust him. The fire of God goes before them, and they learn how to move when he moves and stop when he stops. There's a rebellion at Korah, and some of that fire goes and devours some of the rebels. Two giants, the most famous giants in the Bible. God defeats them, and they write psalms about it. God defeated Sion and Og. I haven't even heard of them. And yet they're legendary. A talking donkey that teaches us how to avoid temptation in our life. And then there's a account of a bronze snake up on top of a stick. Probably why today Asclepius, which is where we get the symbol at our hospitals of a snake on a stick, comes from Asclepius, which comes from the tradition of what happened here, which is what Jesus uses in John chapter 3 to say, just like that bronze snake was put on a stick in the book of Numbers, that's what I'm going to do in my life in John 3. Hmm. So, It's going to be an amazing journey in prepping us and preparing us for what God has for us. These are just the topics for the first couple weeks in uh, January. Another tool, though, is for you're looking for a chance to invite somebody. At our exploring service in January and February, we're doing a new series called Doors. And we're specifically going to talk about the Wittenberg door and a man named Martin Luther who could not open the door to God's grace because he could never be good enough. He's just buried in guilt and buried in shame. And he's knocking on heaven's door week one. And if you've been looking for an opportunity to hear the gospel presented as clear as we can present it and a week to invite friends, it would be that week, January 2nd at the 11 o'clock service. But we're going to cover Martin Luther King three times in that series. Martin Luther and then Martin Luther King, who names himself, his dad did, after Martin Luther. And how that just inspired a new way of, of, of bringing people together in Christ despite their differences of tribe and nation. And how Martin Luther found God to be kindness and not condemnation. However, on week two, you might want to invite a friend because I'm going to be interviewing MMA champion, actor, and uh, world champion, Boss Rudin. He was an MMA champion for many, many years. He became a movie star. He was in Mall Cop. He was in Here Comes the Boom. He was on several TV shows with Kevin James. Kevin James was a follower of Jesus. Boss Rudin was an agnostic who champion of the world. And Kevin James invited him to a Bible study. And we're going to hear his story about how a friend invited him to a Bible study and how he went from being an agnostic to being a follower of Jesus. A very strong, committed Catholic follower of Jesus. 
but how relationship and study brought him to that place. So I'm going to be interviewing him for the entire hour at the 11 o'clock hour on the second week of January, if that's something you might want to invite a friend to. One more thing, if you're a foodie, we have a lady named Margaret Feinberg who's going to be coming here on 1.30, and she is an expert on food. She's been in the salt mines in the Middle East. She's talked to bakers and butchers all over the world, and she's going to go through different foods mentioned in the Bible and what we can learn about those foods and what the cultural context teaches us about who God is on 1.30. So just some things coming up that I hope will be tools for you to invite friends, tools for you to grow spiritually, and then lastly, tools just to impact our, our world. One of the things we do is God provide for our needs, and we want to provide for the needs of others. It's part of running our race. So we've got our giving tree out there. And for the first three weeks, we focus on our local ministries, our Jerusalem, our Judea. So when you take an ornament off the tree, you're helping give to Interparish Ministries. You're helping give to City Gospel and Happy Church. Those are the areas in our immediate vicinity. Just a chance for us to say, God, you've been so generous to me. Let me give back to a family. How can our family help another family? Then for the following two weeks, we'll focus on our international programs, our partners with Back to Back and our partnership with, with uh, Belize Partners, medical partners. So if you have not been part of the Giving Tree, please use that as a tool to run the race of serving those around us that God has for you. Either way, here's my encouragement to you. What does it look like for you and I to run the race God has for us? I don't need to run your race. You don't need to run mine. But how do I run the race? And to run it at your pace. Right? Your pace isn't my pace. It might be like the 1992 Olympics the guy couldn't even finish until his dad came out and helped him hobble to the finish. And your dad, your heavenly father, may just be helping you hobble along to the finish line. He says, you don't need to finish first, but let's finish well. But run your race at your pace. The whole time, keeping your eye focused on the finish and the finisher of your faith. Sometimes, like you heard Hearing about how God has been faithful in other people can encourage us in our story. So today I'd like you to hear how God has been faithful to someone who's been running her own race. I hope it encourage you that we can sing of God's faithfulness together. Can we give a warm horizon welcome to my friend Carolyn? Come on down. Good to see you. Hi. Thank oh, you. I got the picture of you guys up here. Hi. Uh, Chad had asked me to talk, and I told him I would love to because I love God, and God is so good, and God has done so many things for, for me and my family, and I just wanted to, uh, to share that. That's a picture of my husband, Jeff, and my family, and Jeff and I had a vow renewal at 35 years to celebrate the fact that we've stayed married that long, and it wasn't always like that. Right. I, me- I remember when I came to that, it was kind of amazing to hear you tell a story about, hey, we've kind of made it, but God's been faithful, and you had friends who were Christians and non-Christians there. And just let me tell you why we made it, because we didn't even used to like each other. So take me back to, like, what happened in the early days that put that pressure on your marriage that made you go, we need some kind of help. Is that me making noise? I'm sorry. Uh, oh, Jeff and I had uh, moved to Lima, and we had preemies there. That was our first move with Procter & Gamble. And uh, we had moved seven times, but this was our first one, and we had had preemies. And uh, they flew us by helicopter to Ohio State University, where they stayed for a month. But uh, Jeff and I just, you know, were trying to figure out life together. And then we uh, ended up moving to St. Louis, and uh, things just got worse. 
right? We became like two separate people. He was busy trying to learn uh, his job. I was busy trying to raise twins in a place I didn't know. And we just drifted apart. And so we decided to uh, to try counseling. And we tried that for a little while, and uh, that just didn't work. And so one day I was in the kitchen cooking, and I thought, oh, I called Jeff up. I said, you know, when all else fails, let's try church. So I asked him if he wanted to go to this church down the street, and, and we went. And Jeff liked the church. And I thought, you know, I think I want to find out more about this because I wasn't raised in a Christian home. So I met with an associate pastor, and he presented the gospel to me. And a light bulb went off. I'm like, wow, I want that. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I want my sins to be forgiven. So uh, Jeff and I, our marriage was saved. God saved it, and uh, I, I felt like I needed to do my part. So I opened up the Bible, God's Word, and I just started reading. You know, what does God expect me to be as a wife? I had to learn to respect my husband. I had to learn how to let him lead and be head of the family. And then I just prayed for God. I mean, sorry, I prayed to God for just wisdom because I just, I needed Jeff to be the man that God had called him to be, not the man that I wanted Jeff to be. And so, uh, yeah, on one day, Jeff and I both looked at each other and we said, let's forgive each other for the past. Don't bring it up and just move forward. And that's, that's what we've done. That's, it's just God has just been so good and faithful. And you know what I learned, Chad, from, from that whole experience was that, that God loves me, and he truly does, and that God changes people. And, and you read about it in the Bible, but God truly does change people. And, uh, and that God, God answers prayer because it was a lot of prayer to get us through that, those rough years there. Yeah, I remember when we came to the ceremony, you said, well, there were times we just didn't like each other. And I laughed because you said, yeah, we tried marriage counseling. That didn't work, so we tried Jesus. And I'm pro-counseling. I'm not against counseling. But the idea that until you dealt with the the spiritual problem, which is, you know, I'm trying to make my husband or my spouse into my God, you couldn't deal with the real issue, which is until I'm whole, then I don't know how to love each other. And then it's like, okay, well, a lot of people say, well, I came to Christ. I guess life's all good. Right. No, you had another kind of legacy of that run, right. which was another huge challenge. How are you and, uh, and your husband going to face infertility and face the challenges of things not happening the way you wanted? So take me into that next phase. Can I just add on that little sure. point there, too? It's uh, Jeff and I had no support. Right in the beginning years, when when our marriage, we we didn't have church friends, and because you move, you don't have friends, and you're away from family, and we went through the death of my brother, and there's just there were a whole lot of stressors. It wasn't like we just mm. woke up one day and decided we didn't like each other. There were right. there was a lot going on in life, and and that's the way life is. But sure. um, but yeah, then we moved back to Cincinnati, and I wanted uh, I, I wanted a singleton girl. I just wanted a little girl, and Jeff said, Carolyn. You just can't promise me a girl, and you can't promise me a singleton. So we decided. <laughs> you didn't to, want twins again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was kind of hard, uh, but uh, yeah. So we prayed that either God would put the desire on my heart or take it from His. So Jeff came to me and said, "You know, let's let's try." So we did, and uh, we tried for about eight months. I, I prayed for a healthy little girl. I prayed for twin girls. I prayed for a healthy boy, twin boys, a boy-girl twin. <laughs> and then finally, after eight months, I said, finally, God, give me whatever you want. I'll take it. Oh. Yep. And uh, God is so good, I got pregnant. 
And uh, I got a phone call that uh, my, because I was 36 and we had done testing, that my, my daughter was going to have Down syndrome. And I was a little bit shocked, to say the least. Uh, I, I, we've been Christians about three years. I wasn't that mature in my Christian walk. And I just I couldn't understand why God would punish me by not giving me that perfect, healthy child. And I didn't understand that, that God's plan is so much better than my plan and that his timing is so perfect and that this little girl was exactly what my family needed. And I couldn't see that in the beginning. And I struggled a lot with that. And, and one day Jeff said, you know, Carolyn, if you lined up all your friends in a room, my wise husband, if you lined up all your friends in your room and, and God said, I have this special child, who do you think he'd give her to? And I'm, I'm like, me. Because I'm a really good mom. I don't mean to be prideful, but I was a really good mom. I love being a mom. I love being a grandma too. But, uh, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so uh, one time I was at a women's ministry meeting and I shared my true feelings with these women about carrying a child with special needs. And those women got out of their seats and they prayed for me right then and there. And that's when I realized how much I love women. Because I know as a woman, sometimes we don't really trust other women because sometimes women we feel can be catty. I love women, and I love just being around women. I would love to just talk one-on-one with women. And and it's just funny how God has just changed my heart over the years. And and that's what I love most about God. He he constantly is trying to make me more like Christ, and, and sometimes change can hurt, yeah. but change is good. And, and, I and, just, and I think the idea that they were allowed you to be honest, because I remember when we found out Quinn had special needs, you don't know if it's okay to say it out loud, you don't know if you're going to be judged for saying so, yes. you don't know if it's the right, you don't know, there's no right way to feel, and to one, feel, feel validated, to feel accepted, to feel encouraged, and to feel like I can be honest and real. And you said that women there and women later uh, here at Horizon just continue to be kind of a source for you to be honest and real in your journey of faith, right? Yes, definitely so. Definitely. I, yes. And I, I, just, I just relied on God's promises, you know, that God would, would uh, always be there for me, that God would never leave me, that, that God would guide me, that he had a, a better plan for me. He has a mm. future for me. And there's just so many of God's promises that I had to cling to through this and just through life in general because life can be hard. Yeah. And, you know, and, and your race isn't over. My race isn't over. Your race isn't over. I just thought hearing a little snapshot of, of Carolyn's story would help, you know, that whether you're struggling with infertility and there's no promise of where that race is going to go or whether you're struggling with the challenges of, of maybe a season of your marriage where you're not sure if you're going to make it and you're wondering if it's worth it, how do you connect with God? And how do you keep running for the reward? And how do you keep focused on the finish line? And I just was so encouraged that day, you know, watching you share with all your friends from like all through the, the different seasons of your life, some Christian, some not, and just how boldly you descri- described how God had helped you and God was going to continue to help you guys in your journey. So, Well, Chad, God is amazing. And, and when you feel that way and you see, when you reflect on your life and you see how you... You see God there. You know God was there. And at the time, it didn't feel like it. But how can you not want to talk mm. and share that? Because mm-hmm. yeah. God is so good all of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for 
Carolyn, her journey, pray for you in your race. And then we're going to sing together and just sing about the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God so you can focus on him wherever you're at in your race. And let us know how we can come alongside and run as a pack together as a community. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the ways you have been faithful and the ways you have shown yourself good in the midst of the challenges of family and marriage and career and life. And Father, show us in those moments we feel weak or we feel alone or we feel like we can't endure that you will reward us and that you will walk with us. Thank you for Carolyn's story and her boldness and show us how we can do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.